0: Take out your Bibles this evening. We're going to be considering the thought process of Psalms, um, in particular Psalm 23. But before we even get there, I would like you to think through the thought process of sheep. And we'll, we'll spend the majority of our time in Psalm 23, but first let's turn to Psalm 79. And in Psalm 79, we see one of the pictures that Scripture presents regarding sheep. Okay, in verse 13 of Psalm 79, the psalmist wrote these words, But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. Turn over to Psalm 100, just a few pages to the right. Psalm 100. And we'll see a similar presentation here regarding Sheep. Verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So both of those are positive presentations. For negative portrayal, we'd only have to look at the prophet Isaiah. Prophet Isaiah compared us to sheep in chapter 53 of his book. Let's turn there. Isaiah chapter 53. Here we see a little bit of a negative portrayal regarding sheep. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. And then in John 10, verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So meet me over at Luke chapter 15, where we can see another presentation of sheep. Luke chapter 15. And in Luke chapter 15, the Lord is telling a parable. He's telling a story. In verse 3, So as I said earlier, we're going to spend the majority of our time in Psalm 23, and as you turn there, as you turn to Psalm 23, I'm going to present to you some similarities between helpless sheep and God's people. So now, unless you consider uh, being dumb a means of defense, sheep are defenseless, okay? Sheep are defenseless. Uh, I've been told that sheep can get lost very easily. They don't have a good sense of direction, in addition, sheep are not like other animals that have effective defenses, right? Animals that might have sharp claws or razor-like teeth or, or tremendous speed or a strong sense of smell that can help them or keen eyesight and hearing, you know, tremendous strength, highly advanced intellect, or a commanding voice. No, sheep don't have that. In contrast, sheep are weak, dumb, and awkward, okay? That's a losing trifecta right there, All right. So sheep are weak, dumb, and awkward, and so when we are compared in Scripture to sheep, it's not really a compliment for us. Consider the legs of sheep. They're spindly. The feet of sheep, tiny hooves. They don't have speed, really, of any kind. There is a reason why you don't go to the racetrack to watch sheep, right? (laughs) There's a reason for that, okay? You don't go there to watch sheep race, even the voice of sheep. It's pretty pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> really? I mean, that, that's, that's not going to scare anything unless some other really super timid sheep are around. Right? Okay. So the only means of protection for the sheep is the shepherd. The shepherd is the means of protection for the sheep. And as a friend of mine would state, I'm pretty sure there's a spiritual lesson to be found in there. So let's consider God's people. The only real protection for the child of God is our Savior. The only source of strength for the child of God can be found in the Lord. So here we are in Psalm 23. Psalm 23. And the theme or the big idea of the psalm is right at the beginning. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So we, we can see adequacy, the adequacy that the sheep has because of the shepherd. And we see that in verses 2 and 3 in the pasture. In the pasture. Look at verse 2. It says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. Uh, I don't know about all of you, but for me, when I read those verses, when I read that verse, I tend to think, you know, this, this lush, green, field filled with grass. It's overflowing with abundant food. If you're a sheep, that's a great thought. Okay, it's lush with greenery, rolling hills. But the emphasis here in the original text, it's not the location. It's the action. And the action is done by the shepherd. He makes me lie down therefore, I shall not want for rest. But sadly, many of us do not want to lie down and rest. You know, in particular, those who have young children, the thought process of naps, that's a battle. That's a battle to try to get your kids, at various stages, uh, to take naps. You know, I, I do think um, one of our two children, <clears throat> Micah, who, uh, anyway, sorry, you know, he just from the youngest age, he would not want to take a nap. And so um, it was a battle. It was a battle for us to get him to lie down to take a nap. Okay, so it is with the Lord with us. The Lord makes us lie down. So the, from the practical standpoint, how does the Lord make us lie down? I know I have a tendency to go all out all the time. And then so the Lord in his graciousness, he will from time to time give me an illness to slow me down. He will give me something that forces me to slow down. forces me to lie down. You know, another example is is where the Lord continues to use a voice of an older godly man to speak truth into my life. And part of the truth that is spoken to me is when I see how he responds to the Lord graciously making him to lie down. How the Lord graciously gives him an opportunity to slow down. And please take note here that the The presentation of lying down, the actual act of it, it's not always pleasant. It's not always a pleasant endeavor. No, being made to lie down is often a battle. I mean, because the reality is we are dying to self in that moment. If we are being made to lie down, that means we are being made to do something we don't want to do in that moment. And so, being made to lie down and dying to self, if you consider those walking hand in hand, it's part of this larger process that we know as sanctification. And rarely is that ever enjoyable in the moment. Keep reading. Verse 2. He leads me beside the still waters. So the phrase here could refer to two different things. First, it could focus on the water. Water is necessary for life, right? Each one of us has to have water to continue living. Uh, God's creation needs water to continue growing, to continue to develop. Psalm forty-two. Many of us know that, by, you know from memory. As the deer pants for the water brook, so does my soul pant for you, O God. It's like the deer, like us, like plants that are growing, like grass in the ground, like sheep. We all need water. However, when sheep are able to ingest liquid through eating dew-laden grass early in the morning, having water later on, is not that big of a priority. They don't need a tremendous amount of water if they're able to ingest it through the grass that they are eating. The fact that sheep are able to acquire water through other sources would lead me to believe that this verse is speaking more about the condition of the water. Addressing the condition of the water, we, we have the thought process that sheep are easily frightened. They're afraid. And it makes sense that a good shepherd would take care to lead his sheep beside quiet or still waters. That's what a good shepherd would do. Uh, we, we live in a beautiful valley here, Gallatin Valley. And then uh, if you head up toward Big Sky, there are some tremendous falls, Oozle Falls. You may have made that hike back in the day. Some of you may have done it recently. If you go early in the spring at Oozle Falls, it's a tremendously Unquiet experience. You ever been to the base of Oozle Falls? You well, know, you guys have been. It's, it, it's, it can be quite disturbing because if you go with someone else, you wind up talking like this. When you're at the base of the falls, you have to shout to be heard because there is so much water flowing over the top of the falls. It is this thunderous sound. Now, place sheep right there. Okay, that is not going to be a pleasant experience for them. That is not going to be a good thing. It's not going to help them regarding fear. So this sounds so overwhelming, right? And the sheep would likely be very afraid. They would likely would be very afraid and would try to run away. So look at verse 3 as we continue on. He, the good shepherd, right, restores my soul. A restore originally meant to turn around or to turn back. It is a similar idea to what's presented in the New Testament as repentance. It's not simply an outward change. It's not just an outward change, but it's an inward transformation that causes change on the outside. It's an inward change that the Lord makes in us. So as we're thinking about sheep here, let, let me paint you a picture. I'm sure many of us have seen it. You, you've got this picture of, of Jesus, the good shepherd, with the lamb you know, around his neck, and he's carrying this lamb. I remember seeing that one of the first times and, and thinking, you know, how, how sweet, how loving of the Lord to carry that little lamb, you know, up around his neck. And that, that, that's such a sweet picture. But let's, let's rewind a little bit to find out why that lamb is around the neck. Okay, so let me let me relate to you the preceding events. Little lambs often get hungry. And you know, I'm sure the majority of us can identify with hunger of some kind, whether it's food or, or something else. We can identify with hunger. Okay, so little lambs often get hungry. And in addition, lambs can be incredibly stubborn. Uh, Some of us might be able to identify with that more than others. I I can identify with stubbornness, okay? But these lambs, there can be a stubbornness that they will only eat in areas that look good to them, not necessarily in the area to which they've been directed by their shepherd. Instead, they would desire to eat where they want to eat. Stubbornness, I think we can identify with that. Sadly, this self-sufficient belief will at times cause sheep to wander into thickets or to wander near cliffs, and then they find themselves stuck. And at that point, then, your only option is to cry out, to start crying. (laughs) This can be a tendency for sheep. So when a shepherd is given a flock of sheep to lead, he realizes the great responsibility of training the sheep to follow him. And inevitably, there is a lamb in each flock that refuses to follow. Think about it from the perspective of the sheep. You know, the sheep is thinking, it's like, well, no, if you just understood how green this grass is over here, you wouldn't question me going over here. If you just understood how cool and refreshing that water was just a little bit farther up the stream, you wouldn't question me going there, all right? So that's a self-centered perspective, but that's wayward sheep, that's us. The real issue here is that the shepherd is the leader of the flock and all of the lambs must follow. Those who refuse to follow are in essence saying, my way is better. I know best. I know you're my shepherd. I want to do things my way. I want to do things on my own. So when the shepherd first realizes that the lamb has wandered away from his leading, he will search until the sheep is found. We saw that. The parable of the lost sheep. The lamb might stay around the rest of the flock for a little while, you know, after he's been brought back. However, later on, the lamb likely will have the tendency to wander away again. And undaunted, the shepherd will once more go off in search of the sheep that has wandered. He will go in search of it and will guide the lamb back to the flock with his staff. Right? That thing that's got the hook on the end of it. He's going to guide that sheep back to the flock But after this search and rescue technique has been performed a couple of times, the shepherd is going to change his approach. Now we're coming to that sweet picture. All right? So the shepherd's going to use a different tactic. So if the same lamb continues this habit, eventually the shepherd will pick up that lamb, will use his rod, and will strike that spindly leg to break the leg To crack it for the purpose of then splinting that leg, anointing it with oil, helping that leg to heal, and through the process of healing, the shepherd is carrying that lamb around his neck. At first thought, you know what, we might say that's unjust or that's unloving. It's like, well, no, could I counter to you that, in fact, that is the most loving thing that shepherd can do? Because the sheep is bent on its own destruction, And yet the shepherd in loving kindness will take that sheep, administer a little bit of discipline. It's painful. Yeah, it's painful. But for the greater good. So only in this position of ultimate dependence on the shepherd will this lamb then realize its place of living within the care, within the guidance, within the direction of the shepherd. Now this is extravagant love. So once the shepherd knows that the lamb can hobble along again on his own, the shepherd will set the lamb down by his side, and that lamb will then stay glued to the side of the shepherd. Yay. Right? That's an excellent scenario. What more could you desire? That is what verse 3 is talking about when the psalmist writes, he restores my soul. Now, on a personal level, I can testify that that's what the Lord did to me when I was 19 years old. I had wandered from the Lord. I was doing what was right in my own eyes, and I was pretty fat and sassy. I thought I was self-sufficient. I thought I was pretty wise. I was definitely self-righteous. The Lord did not physically break my leg, but he definitely did cripple me. I vividly remember standing before a judge in federal court with absolutely no defense for my actions. And in that moment, a park ranger, whom I did not know from Adam, asked to address the court and proceeded to testify on my behalf. So that courtroom is a tiny, flawed picture of how our Redeemer stands before God's righteous throne pleading on our behalf. It's during that time that the Lord picked me up and taught me the importance of staying close to Him. He placed me around His neck and He carried me through the darkest time of my life. He restored my soul. Continuing verse 3 He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Sheep are creatures of habit. Right, a man who worked with sheep uh, once relayed this story to me. He, he said there was he was part of a team doing agricultural research studies in a, a round building, and they were doing studies on the sheep that were outside the building. Well, before long, one sheep had found its way and started circling the building. So it started circling, and then they looked out the windows a couple, you know, a few minutes later, and they thought, "Oh wait, there are a couple sheep now wandering around the building." few minutes later a couple more sheep and sure enough within just a short period of time they had this full line going around the building it's like they're not going anywhere they just kept circling the building and circling the building and circling the building and and to to listen to this gentleman tell the story he, he closed it by saying if someone hadn't kicked open the outside door to break the sheep of their pattern they would still be wandering around the building right I mean how dumb is that well, we can laugh at that, but it's harder for us to actually identify that in ourselves. It's harder for us to identify that tendency to be dumb, that tendency to just follow someone else, that tendency to not think, to not think clearly, to not think rightly regarding who God is, regarding who he has said, what he has said. And we'll just take someone else's thought process say, oh yeah, you're fine to do this. Oh yeah, you're fine to not be around God's people. Oh yeah, you're fine to void to uh, to go against your conscience here. You're fine to do this. Really? We are like sheep, and it's not a compliment. One author states, "Sheep will blindly, habitually, stupidly follow one another along the same little trails until they become ruts that erode into gigantic gullies." Now, since that is the pattern for sheep, the role of the shepherd here is imperative. This is an important role for the shepherd to play. The shepherd is the one who must lead the sheep in the right paths. Not the wrong paths, but the right paths. So just as the shepherd makes the sheep to lie down and then leads the sheep beside still waters, the shepherd also must lead the sheep in the right paths. So the Lord leads his sheep in the right paths, which are paths of righteousness. And note the ending of the phrase. It's for his name's sake. So, is it good for us to go on the paths of righteousness? Yes. Yes, it is. But dare I say, remind you again, it's not all about you, just as it's not all about me. It's for his name's sake that he is leading us in those paths. Yes, there is good for us. Absolutely. It's for our good. But it's for his greatness. That's the reality. It's for his name's sake. It's his reputation that is on the line. By nature, sheep, us, we're all stupid. We will fail. And in fact, it it is unusual that we do not fail more often than we do. And since our tendency is failure, when something goes right, we should be quick to direct credit to the Lord instead of receiving that credit for ourselves. He should get the credit, not us, for those things that are done right. Now think back to the Lord's words in John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So it's his reputation that is on the line. Look at the beginning of verse 4. We're moving on. Serenity and security. Now we're in the valley. We're in the valley, beginning of verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Okay. and do, do note again, God does not stutter. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's not, it's not nece- it doesn't necessitate that death is there. It's just there is a shadow of death there. There is darkness Right? The Lord is the comfort for us, though. Therefore, I shall not want for security. And here, let, let's, let's look at a larger picture regarding the shepherd and his sheep again. After wintering in a specific location in summer, shepherds would lead their flocks to higher ground to access food that they couldn't have gotten to during the winter months. And to get to these summer feeding areas, the sheep would need to walk through difficult areas. And according to the psalmist, these are dark areas. And these dark areas could house other animals that might attack the sheep. These are dark areas that could be filled with uneven ground, and the sheep could get hurt. Even though I walk through the valley of dark darkness, or the valley of deep darkness, I do not need to be afraid. This thought process of security, it's an interesting concept. You know, back in the day, I remember my wife Lori and I were taking parenting classes. Our material offered the thought that hugs from the mom were hugs of compassion, right? And these were the kinds of hugs that you, you would get, your kids would desire after they've skinned a knee. You know, it's just like, boom, they want the hug from mom. Not really that interested in dad at the moment. They want the hug from mom, you know, after skinning the knee. And then on the other hand, hugs from dad were presented as hugs of security. And when a child's world is shaken, they desire to be held in the strong arms of the dad. Uh, As we continue to walk through various life changes in our our family, Lori and I find it interesting that this still rings true. In the middle of upheaval and uncertainty, our kids still desire the hugs of security that come from me as dad. Uh, A few years ago, our son Micah relished the idea of traveling across the country to attend university for his first year. And, and so he was, he was all gum-ho, excited about that, ready to go, tackle university. It was an excellent thing. Up until the evening before the departure. So here we are, the evening before he leaves, and he and I are we're standing in our kitchen. And it's time to say goodnight. And we say goodnight, and I hug him. And you know, it, it, uh, you know I, I tend to wear my emotions on my sleeve anyway, so I, I enjoy hugs. All right, so I, I'm, I'm doing the hug. We're there. And I start to let go. He doesn't. So I do the firmer hug. <clears throat> yeah. And I start to let go. He doesn't let go. And in fact, he starts squeezing tighter. So I do it a third time, and I just start holding him. It was an incredibly tender moment. But in that moment, as he was leaving the next day, there was security in the hug. I didn't need to say anything. Just be there, quiet, offer the hug. That's it. That's all it was. It's like the hug is a nonverbal statement saying, it's gonna be fine. You know, similarly, we can rest knowing that the Lord is with us. He is the one who will lead us through the difficult dark valleys, but you know what? He is also the one who protects us. He is our shepherd. In Scripture, the life of the follower of Christ is never presented as a life of ease. There will be dark valleys, but remember this well. We are never alone in those dark valleys. We are never alone in that dark darkness. And some of you know this so very well. And some of us need to remember this far more than we do. The Lord protects us. The Lord comforts us. Turn over. Keep your fingers here in Psalm 23. Turn over to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. In this setting, we can see a real application of this comfort that we receive. We can see why this comfort is given. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul opens up this this epistle with greetings. Verse 2, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And then verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we can rest well at night. No, no. No, that's not what the text says. It says, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So don't miss that. God provides us with comfort when we go through difficult scenarios, but that comfort isn't meant to be wasted, if you will, on us. It's not for us in that particular moment. Yes, do we receive benefit from it? Absolutely. Yes, it is a tremendous comfort. But it's not meant to end there. It's meant to continue going. Right? The comfort isn't just given for our comfort. That comfort's not meant to be wasted on us. Instead, we're given comfort in our difficult situations so that we can turn around and offer comfort to others who are going through difficult and dark settings. So the Lord graciously comforts and helps us in our dark days for this distinct purpose, to offer hope and encouragement and help to others in their times of darkness. You know, rarely do we enjoy going through difficult things. But when the Lord provides opportunity for us to comfort, to encourage, to help others who are going through hard times, you know what? Then it's a tremendous comfort for us that the Lord has given us comfort to pass that along. So now we keep going. Part four, certainty in the fold. Now we're in the fold and we have certainty. Okay. The fold is a place the shepherd would select for the sheep to eat well. So we continue reading with verse four. All right, I'll you know evil you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So in a Middle Eastern setting, the shepherd carries only a rod and staff. And listen to this description of the rod and staff. In this scenario, the shepherd boy, from the time he first starts to tend his father's flock, takes special pride in the selection of a rod and staff exactly suited to his own size and strength. He goes into the bush and selects a young sapling which is dug from the ground. This is carved and whittled down with great care and patience. The enlarged base of the sapling where its trunk joins the root is shaped into a smooth, rounded head of hard wood. And the sapling itself is shaped to exactly fit the owner's hand. And after he completes it, the shepherd boy spends hours practicing with this club, learning how to throw it with amazing speed and accuracy. It becomes his main weapon of defense for both himself and his sheep. So again, the shepherd is the focus here. And in this setting, because the shepherd has constructed his own rod and staff, because the shepherd has spent countless hours learning how to use it, the sheep are protected. The sheep are comforted. So in a similar manner, one could say for the believer, God's word serves as a rod and staff. Second Timothy 3 states, All scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So God's word is a means of equipping, a means of defense, and a means of comfort for the child of God. So let's keep going. He prepares a table for me. He prepares a table before me. I shall not want for food. Verse 5 says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So the preparation of the table easily could testify to a shepherd's attempt to provide protection for his flock as he was getting them ready to eat. So in the she- in this setting, the shepherd would have moved the sheep to a particular area, a fertile area with lots of grass. Okay? So thick grass, heavy grass, needs a mower, or sheep, or hungry goats, you know, needs something. All right, so you go into this area of fertile grass, but just as... With any strength, you know, think through this phraseology, any strength left unchecked becomes a weakness, right? Well, so here, this lush meadow that's overgrown with grass, you know what? It also hides things. So in this particular arena, you've got this thought process of snake holes, adder holes, asp holes, okay? So snakes would be hiding in this grass. And in this picture, the shepherd would search for viper holes, which housed snakes, which could hurt the sheep. It's like, okay. So, by applying oil around the holes, the shepherd could seek to keep the snakes at bay because they don't like the smell. And so they would stay away from coming out of the hole, they would stay in the hole instead. Okay, so, that's a means of protection for the sheep. And then verse 5 continues You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. The anointing of the head could be a continuation of the shepherd's protection of the sheep. The smell of the oil would drive away snakes, right, in case the shepherd had missed any of the snake holes. So think through this. The sheep, right, the head is coming down, it's eating the grass. close, And so if you've anointed the head with oil, if you've rubbed oil all over it, if you've missed some snake holes... Possibility, always a possibility. If you've missed those snake holes, you have a double sense of defense because you have rubbed oil on the heads of your sheep so that the snakes won't be interested in pursuing them. All right, as well, the anointing of the head with oil would protect the sheep from the nose fly or the nasal fly. This was fascinating to me as I was doing research on this this week. The nasal fly seeks to deposit eggs on the moist portion of a sheep's nose. All right, not not that big of a deal, but think through this. In just a few days' time, the hatched eggs will produce worm-like larvae. All right, so now we're getting somewhere. These worms will now burrow into the soft flesh of the sheep's nasal passages. That sounds nice. Once infected, the sheep may become blind. That is a, a common attribute that comes along with this from the worm-like larva is, is blindness that can come along. And so also there's just the, this, um, it, it's, it's an incredibly irritating thing. It also is really painful for the sheep. And so any good shepherd would seek to prevent that from happening, right? In fact, there are, there are testimonies of sheep, seriously, killing themselves to escape the pain and torment caused by the worms. So it's like these sheep that were so infested with this, um, with this worm-like larva, right, that they would run over a cliff. It's like, okay. So the anointing of the head is protection from the shepherd for the sheep, and my cup overflows. This could testify to the shepherd's willingness to provide water for the sheep when no stream is present. We talked earlier about how sheep they can get water from dew-laden grass early in the day, but then if it's a hot time of summer, they might not get as much water. They might not get as much liquid from that grass. So the shepherd then uh, would, would seek to provide water when no stream is present, and one author notes this, quote, "To draw the water." This is using a well. To draw the water, the shepherd used a long rope with a leather bucket at the end. And since the bucket held less than a gallon and had to be drawn by hand, then poured into a stone basin beside the well, the process was long and arduous. So what a, what a loving act of the shepherd to do that. My cup runs over. So now we're to eternity, we're to the eternal aspect of this in the Father's house. Verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, now, don't, don't lose sight of this here. The issue here is eternity with the Lord, right? The issue is eternity with the Lord. And John also records our Lord addressing eternity. John chapter 14, let's go and turn there. John chapter 14, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking about eternity. John chapter 14, and we'll start right at verse 1. The Lord is offering comfort to his disciples here. John chapter 14, verse 1. The Lord Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And since I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So the issue is the person. It's not the place. Yes, the Lord has prepared a great place for us. Absolutely. But of greater importance is that we will be with him. We will be forever with the Lord. So I can take comfort in this. The Lord has prepared a place for me, and it is with him. It is there that I shall forever dwell with the Lord. And so, and don't miss this important reality. Each sheep struggles, whether it's in the green pastures, whether it's alongside the still waters, whether it's in the valley of dark darkness, or whether it's at the lush feeding areas, or waiting for liquid refreshment. Each and every sheep struggles. It might not always be the same struggle for each sheep. And I just think it's so good of the Lord to give us these things because you know what? Although all of us can hold to this thought process of there's no temptation that is unique to me, right? As Paul wrote, all temptation is common to man. All right? But we can rest in this. We can know that no matter what my struggle, I have a great comforter. And no matter what my struggles are here, in eternity, with the Lord, in the Father's house, those will be no more. Right? Even though I've been saved from the penalty of sin, even though I've been released from the power of sin, my soul longs for the day when I will be removed from the very presence of sin. And that walks hand in hand with being in the presence of the Lord. Each of us, to some degree, is weary from the weight of sin. So if I can encourage you, you know, weary one. Keep this in mind. In the Lord's presence, we will be free from the very presence of sin. And in that setting, sin will be no more. You know, we we sang this this morning, right? Oh, that day when freed from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face. Full arrayed in blood-washed linen, how I'll sing thy sovereign grace. One current author uh, connected eternity and longing in this way. Awe, A-W-E, is longing. Perhaps it doesn't seem too thunderous to you but it is. The capacity for awe that God has given us fundamentally explains the endless variety of human dissatisfactions. Between the already of our conversation, uh, our conversion, excuse me, the already of our conversion and the not yet of eternity, we are granted greater satisfaction but our hearts are not at rest. The war still goes on and we crave more. If awe is a longing, then embedded in that longing is the cry for a destination. And if awe requires a destination, then every moment of awe in this life merely prepares us for the incalculable awe that is to come, that will only come in the presence of the Lord Jesus. So our hearts, our souls should cry out with John at the end of Revelation Come quickly, Lord Jesus. So, as we close this evening with the conclusion and application, this is a personal application. I'd like you to consider the title of this message The Lord Is. Six simple verses. As we've seen, the Lord is my adequacy, the Lord is my serenity, the Lord is my certainty. The Lord is my eternity. The Lord is my reputation. The Lord is my security. The Lord is my provision. The Lord is my comfort. The Lord is my protection. The Lord is my defense. The Lord is my restoration. The Lord is my salvation. Indeed, the Lord is. The Lord is my shepherd. He's all I want. Father, thank you. Thank you for this short psalm. And Lord, uh, there, there may be some people who've worked with sheep and who really can identify with some of the things that the psalmist was addressing here. And Lord, you have called us to surrender to you. You are good. You are all that we should desire. You are all that we should want. Father, help us to live out the reality of these personal applications. Help us to think through Whether or not we consider you to be our adequacy, serenity, certainty, reputation, security, protection, restoration, salvation. Yeah, Father, we want to be able to say that you are, that the Lord is everything to us. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.